It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Welcome to a festive Mid-Atlantic. I'm Royful Brown, who is back in Birmingham in England. On today's episode, we look back over the year in United Kingdom and the US, Canada, Ukraine and Iran. And to do this, we have some of our most eminent guests that we had on the podcast this year. And just before we start this week's show, I'd like to thank the following who wrote us reviews on Apple iTunes. ETLA47 from the United States, Elizabeth, who's also from the US of A, and Digital Tonto, who also wrote us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, who's also similarly from America. Quite simply, uh, to get a little shout out on the podcast, go onto Apple iTunes, write us a review, and you will be mentioned on the podcast. But with any, without any further ado, let's go on with the show. Good morning from the Ukrainian capital, Kiev. Gunfire and explosions have been heard here and in the second city of Kharkiv shortly after the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, authorised a special military operation in Ukraine. In a special televised address on Russian state TV, Mr Putin said Russia had been left with no choice but to defend itself against what he said were threats from Ukraine. I decided to conduct a special military operation. Its goal is the protection of the people who, for eight years, suffered from abuse and genocide from the Kiev regime. We urge you to lay down arms immediately and go home. I will explain. 
All servicemen of the Ukrainian army who comply with this requirement can freely leave the area of military action and return to their families. Whoever would try to stop us and further create threats to our country, to our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. We are ready for any outcome. My name is David Velasco and I'm a journalist who typically covers Asian politics. Earlier this year I went to the Ukrainian border to write about the refugee crisis and I've been reporting on the genocide in Tigray this year as well. Concerning Ukraine, it's difficult to overestimate how important it is that we put our shoulder to the wheel in supporting the nation. Uh, this morning I saw where Russian MP Andrei Gulyov said peace talks are only possible when Russia reaches the Polish border, meaning total occupation. The cost is high of supporting them and everyone is talking about this, but I believe that we end this now or we put it aside for peace in our time and end up spending 100 times more when it turns to World War III because Russia will not stop. Looking back over the last year, what strikes me the most is how a country like Ukraine can change so dramatically in a very short period of time. I've been involved with the country for 20 years since I first went there in 2002. And it seems clear at this point that there have been three inflection points. The first inflection point was in 2004 and the Orange Revolution. But back then, the Ukraine's aspirations were mostly material. They saw a lot of good things in, in Europe good places to study, good places to to go on vacation, good places to do business, and they wanted that for themselves. There wasn't a great desire to break away from Russia, but 2004 was the first time that the Ukrainians said there's there's only so much we'll take and we demand the right to choose some things for ourselves. But there wasn't a real political consciousness behind it. The second inflection point came with the Euromaidan protests of 2013 and 2014. And what's interesting was the Euromaidan protests sort of blended into what became known as the Revolution of Dignity. And that was a second inflection point. It was the realization that Ukrainians, to have the things they wanted, they needed to adopt certain values. And that was the rise of a, of a real political consciousness. And it played itself out in the way reforms were able to be made uh, in the next eight years or so that hadn't been able to be made before. And... 2022, it seems to me, is a third inflection point where Ukrainians truly feel that not only do they belong in Europe, but the inability to accept Ukraine as European is a European failing rather than some deficit on Ukraine's part. And that's what's in the past. I think there's going to be some, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens as the future unfolds. 
China's military staged a massive show of force this weekend aimed largely at Washington. Dozens of Chinese warplanes and ships crossed the unofficial boundary in the Taiwan Strait. China claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own and resents any foreign interference. Beijing said the weekend maneuvers were a response to Taiwan-related provisions in the U.S. defense spending bill that was passed over the weekend. China's chomping at the bit with its eyes on Taiwan. We have, what, two brigades, the Sixth Fleet, supplying Naples, the Third Air Force in southwest Germany, 200 planes last I checked, 1,500 Marines in Stuttgart. We can't pull what we have out of Central Command or the Indo-Pacific. And the point being that we might not be able to beat Russia back when we want to later on. Everyone tends to assume that the U.S. can just intervene whenever it wants and get whatever it wants done, assuming that we will have the full force of our entire military. And it doesn't work that way. This is Piotr Kuzin, host of The Global Gambit. Well, we could say that COVID was a specific event that has largely redefined a lot of geopolitical and international events. Uh, I look at 22 as a specific year that has had uh, equal sort of impacts on many different things. Of three main things I want to talk about, the first is Ukraine. It's difficult to put into words just how influential this war is not merely because of the redefining relationship it has had between not only NATO or the West and Russia, but equally the growing, uh, shall we say, concrete relations between autocratic states, think Iran's relative activity in Ukraine with drones, um, and China's continued decision to align more with Russia than with the West. The war has also redefined our alliance on energy in Europe and has made it, made, made it very apparent to Europeans that we can no longer be reliant on big markets, economics of China, the cheap energy given to Russia or by Russia, and the security assurances that America continues to provide. Europe must find a way to go out more on its own. The war has absolutely redefined the way that we look at modern warfare and that we mustn't ever take for granted for the fact that kinetic warfare, including with a nuclear power, great country or what we consider to be a great power is, uh, is still possible. And just how much that modern day peace is, uh, is, a, is, is very much a luxury. This winter will be a defining time and it's not going to be a clear case of just simply that the Ukrainian forces will be able to beat the Russians. Most likely you will see some significant gains being made once again as the ice and winter begin to thaw. But this war will continue and the subsequent impacts of energy prices, inflation and more will continue to be felt for many years to come, particularly in Britain with the added impact of Brexit. We begin today with CBS News senior national correspondent Mark Strassman in Atlanta. Chaos in the Carolinas. Protesters squaring off in Greenville, South Carolina. In Iowa, this pickup truck's driver bowled right through abortion rights protesters. From noisy crowds in New York to Los Angeles, where a country convulsed by the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. This constitutional milestone caps a half-century crusade by conservative activists. A motto that my mom taught me in her ministry was, our job is not to make abortion illegal, it's to make it unthinkable. Enraged abortion rights supporters say Dobbs robs women of a fundamental freedom. My body, my choice! And gives state lawmakers, mostly men, control over their bodies and futures. Turning to another major event of the year, Roe v. Wade, uh, whatever your view on the, abor- on the abortion issue or religious perspective on the sanctity of life, People are going to have abortions regardless. 
And it seems that we take measures to make the execution of serial murder rapists now more ethical than what their rape victims are going to face as a result of this decision. And in the end, both will end up dead because the simple fact is the risk of dying from unsafe abortions is high and banning the procedures doesn't bring down the number of women seeking them by very much. One thing that I don't see reported enough that I wish more people were aware of is that the pills, um, we have abortion pills that help minimize clinical involvement. And uh, for people who are worried about what to do in the coming months and years, I would say that studies have shown that self-sourcing abortion pills online has been proven safe. The greatest risk now being criminal rather than uh, to one's health. This is Amy Everett. I'm a president of Golden State Opportunity. And I wanted to share that I think one of the most significant things that happened in 2022 in American politics was the overturning of Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs decision. And it wasn't just the culmination of years-long strategy by the anti-choice community to overturn Roe versus Wade. It was actually the impact that it had on the electoral outcomes later in the year. Luckily, some unlikely folks showed up and voted to protect the right to choose, and that is Republican women. They voted and they split their ballots and their tickets to not only support reproductive rights and ballot initiatives in four states, a couple of them fairly conservative, but they also kept a lot of the MAGA Republicans from getting reelected, who are also very closely aligned with the uh, anti-choice right. And it wasn't, and I don't think the issue is simply a matter of, of whether women have reproductive rights. It's also some of what what recently came out of the January 6th committee's report that really demonstrates that Trump only wants to hold on to power for the sake of having power. And that's that's autocratic. And any autocrat's playbook, it always starts with taking away the rights of women and disempowering them economically, physically, financially. And there's nothing more powerful for women in America than the right to choose. Every study can show that when women have the right to choose, they stay in school longer they succeed um, in work. They're more financially successful. They can plan their families when and with whom they want. And so it isn't surprising that Trump and his cohort were trying to end that. What is, what is going to be interesting in the next year is will they continue to beat the drum of taking away the right to choose from women and anyone who can become pregnant? Do they think that will be a winning strategy in 2024? And the other big question, of course, is will Trump run? I, even though I, I find the findings of the January 6th committee to be really damning and any, any normal person would not run, Trump isn't normal and he wants power and I don't think it'll dissuade him. So I'm curious to see what we come out of after this Christmas season with what, uh, who says they're going to be running and who is going to be sitting this one out. This is Jared Kobeck, the bald-headed writer, speaking to you from Los Angeles. When I think back across the previous 12 months, the thing that stands out is Dobbs, both for its seeming impact on the election and also because, if anything, it went underreported. Beyond the decision being a heinous moral crime and the reality that abortion is a social good, it was one of those catastrophes where everyone ends up looking terrible. It revealed the utter hollowness of the Democratic Party's historical reliance on the Supreme Court. It brought to term, pardon the pun, the long promise that the GOP never wanted to deliver. 
and it almost certainly shattered the pro-life coalition. The worst thing in the world is getting what you want. I particularly enjoyed reading the court's opinions, including the dissents, which managed to debate the nature of abortion in, I believe, the 17th century while avoiding any and all discussion of the Ninth Amendment. All of it added up to a mega-hot look for the American system of representative governance. How does it all end up? I don't ask me, Bubba. But I'd be surprised if, in about five years' time, the underlying political realities don't somehow create a federal law granting the right to abortion. That's free market principles. The vacuum doesn't last long. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, this is Doug Levy in very wet and rainy San Francisco. 2022 is the year when the United States tried to compete with the UK for zany politics. I don't think many of us were accurate with our predictions about this year, and I'm somewhat hesitant about predicting 2023, but this is what pundits do, so here goes. Let's look at some of 2022's highlights. Early in the year, President Biden was talking publicly about concerns that Russia was planning an invasion of Ukraine. Many people dismissed these warnings until February 24th when Russian tanks crossed the border into Ukraine and the war began. That was an earthquake in many respects. There was widespread support for America's backing of Ukraine initially. However, it was also a stark example of how politics in the United States has devolved over the past decade and even more precipitously in the past six years. There used to be a firm rule that politics stopped at the border. That's not the case anymore. In fact, we saw members of Congress aligned with former President Trump who were openly siding with Putin. Of course, the global impact of the Russian invasion was the real driver of politics for most of the year. The spike in oil prices and other supply interruptions triggered high inflation. And it looked like those inflation rates were going to sandbag the Democrats in the midterm elections. Um, 
Then the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. It was the first time in U.S. history that a right had been taken away. That was an even bigger earthquake than the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The incredible division that developed over the past several years got even bigger, and it drove Democratic voters to the polls in November. It was a major factor in the surprisingly strong showing by the Democrats in November's midterm elections. The GOP still won control of the House of Representatives, but the Democrats held on to the Senate. It means there's probably not going to be much legislation done in the next year or two, but President Biden will still be able to appoint judges and other cabinet officials. And that leads us to what's ahead. 2023 is probably going to be a year of gridlock and a lot of shouting in Washington. The incoming Republican leaders have already announced plans to launch investigations on everything from Hunter Biden's laptop to Dr. Tony Fauci's record as America's top immunologist. They are openly hostile to science and public health, and that's going to be interesting as COVID-19 continues to spread, although at least we have vaccines and treatments that are working pretty well. And as much as we might want to forget Donald Trump, we can't. The Justice Department is looking squarely at possible criminal charges stemming from the discovery of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago resort. And of course, we'll hear more from state or federal prosecutors about Trump's role in January 6th insurrection. Watch the GOP members of Congress try to cut off funding for those efforts, by the way. It's going to be another fun year ahead for us all. That's it from San Francisco. I'm Doug Levy. According to members of her family, her mother and her brother, who have spoken to media outside of Iran, they say that Massa was arrested on September 13th when she was leaving a subway station in the capital, Tehran. Her brother was with her at the time. She was uh, detained by the morality police. She was then ushered into a van and transported to a police station. And then at that police station, according to the officials here who have since released CCTV footage, she suddenly collapsed. The police say they believe she had pre-existing conditions and that was the cause of the heart attack. Her family have a different version of events. They say she had no pre-existing health issues. She was a healthy 22-year-old woman who was taken and she never left that police station. She was transported to a hospital where she was in a coma for a few days and then she was taken off life support and pronounced dead. Her family has laid her body to rest in her hometown on Saturday morning and the entire country is demanding an investigation into what actually happened. We've heard not only from her family demanding answers from officials, we've heard from uh, the Interior Ministry who has launched an investigation into uh, determining the cause of death. We've also heard from former high-ranking officials inside Iran, including former uh, President Khatami, as well as the uh, former Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif, who have all expressed their sorrow and deep condolences to the family for the events that took place. The main issue here is not just what happened to her. The issue is that the um, officials need to be responsible for the well-being of people they have in custody, and that it's something that is at the heart of this issue at the moment. The Iranian uprising uh, has been, has, uh, is horrific and inspiring at the same time. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's Speaking of the the horrors of what is happening there with, with the Mashamini protesters, it's a testament to the undaunted spirit of the Iranian women, and I hope they prove victorious and try all these monsters and sentence them to the fates that they deserve.
I'm also reminded here of the women of Tigray, Ethiopia, who have suffered genocidal rape at the hands of Nobel Prize winning Prime Minister Abe Ahmed and his ally in Eritrea, not to mention the women of Xinjiang and so many others. There are indeed so many fires burning in the world right now. But as we bring in the new year, I'm comforted, I suppose, in some small way with the knowledge that there are also a lot of people carrying water. Hello, it's Ian Dale from LBC Radio and the For The Many podcast. I thought I would look back on a fairly tumultuous year in British politics. It's not often that you have three prime ministers within the same year. And of course, we started off with Boris Johnson. And one of my New Year's predictions was that Boris Johnson would still be prime minister at the end of 2022. Well, I certainly got that one wrong, didn't I? Hi, this is Mike Holden in a cold and stormy north of England. Early on this year, we had Boris Johnson under fire for attending several parties during lockdown, which his lawyers managed to convince the police were legal while he was there, but became illegal the minute he left. So Boris Johnson still remains one of the the only UK Prime Minister to be convicted of a crime while in office. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. When we finally did get rid of Boris, we had the death of the Queen over the summer. Uh, Meanwhile, the nation was having the worst cost of living crisis in most of our memories. Today, the first in what will be weeks of nationwide strikes began across multiple professions, from ambulance crews to border officers, all in protest of skyrocketing living costs. And as the days get colder, many are faced with a terrible choice, heat the home or feed the family. From Whitehawk, one of the poorest districts of Brighton on the south coast, special correspondent Malcolm Brabant reports. Sue Meachin is cooking up 300 hearty meals. Her kitchen is in the vanguard of the fight against hunger in this social housing complex and beyond, as millions of Britons are forced to cut back on life's essentials, food and warmth. Liz Truss, I could never understand how the Conservative Party elected her in the first place. I've known her well, ever since she's been in Parliament, and she never struck me as somebody who had many leadership qualities. And uh, she's not a good communicator, uh, quite good on the policy and ideas front, but not somebody who you would have automatically thought would be a good communicator with the electorate. And in modern day politics, you have to be able to communicate. And she just was never able to do that. Having said that, she fought uh, a very good leadership campaign and surprised a lot of us in in that. Um, But her budget in September, I'd say her budget, it was Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor, who actually delivered it. Um, That really did for her. And I remember I was flying to Jersey to visit my money, haha. And um, uh, I got off the plane and looked at my phone to see what the Chancellor had said. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. High tax rates damage Britain's competitiveness. They reduce the incentive to work, to invest and to start a business. And the higher the tax, the more ways people seek to avoid them or work elsewhere or simply work less, rather than putting their time and effort to more creative and productive ends. Take the additional rate of income tax. At 45%, it is currently higher than the headline top rate in G7 countries like the US and Italy. And it is even higher than social democracies 
like Norway. But I'm not going to cut the additional rate of tax today, Mr. Speaker. I'm going to abolish it altogether. From April the 23rd, we will have a, high, a single higher rate of income tax of 40%. It's clear to me that the markets would not like this. I'm thinking, well, in retrospect, if I could predict that, given that I have a grade E uh, economics A-level, why on earth couldn't all the clever people in Downing Street? The complete destruction of our economic credibility with the mini-budget, that all led to... Um, Liz Truss managing to, failing to outlast a lettuce. So Liz Truss was no more, and now we have Rishi Sunak, who is, I think, bringing a certain normality back to British politics. And after the last six years, boy, do we need a little bit of that. Um, he seems to be quite calm under fire. He's more uh, rumbustious in the House of Commons in PMQs than I thought he would be. And he has made a few errors, like making Sula Braverman the Home Secretary, for example, but uh, generally, I think he is calming things down a little bit, and, and that's what is needed. Whether that will continue into 2023, who knows? With the wave of strikes that's going on at the moment, I think the government are in a bit of trouble. They don't seem to understand that it's not the 1970s. There's a new breed of trade union leader, and the voters have a lot more sympathy with strikers than they ever did back in the 70s and 80s. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for the government uh, to solve early in the new year. And of course, the war in Ukraine is still ongoing. Uh, I hope Rishi Sunak is as uh, pro-Zelensky, pro-Ukraine as Boris Johnson was. That, I think, probably was Boris Johnson's main achievement. This is Emma Burnell, just giving you my thoughts on some of the issues in the year that's just gone. I think the main thing that has happened this year is the utter and complete implosion of the Conservative Party in the UK. It's been a long time coming, frankly. Most of the seeds were sown, not even um, in 2016 with Brexit, but actually in uh, from 2010 onwards, as George Osborne and David Cameron enacted austerity. A lot of what we've seen now are the results of services that have been sliced to the bone and the public reaction to that. The fact that we've got strikes uh, in almost all our public services at the moment are a direct result of those decisions made then. Many would also, and I wouldn't um, disagree with them, say that Brexit was a result of that austerity too. We just don't feel like a first world country sometimes, and that's an extraordinary thing to say. Um, we are in many ways a country of very, very concentrated wealth, which is concentrated right up to the very top, including our Prime Minister, and very little for the rest of us. And for a while, that was, uh, you could get away with that, but that has gone now. First of all, Boris Johnson was proved, not unsurprisingly to many of us, to be completely incapable of actual leadership, of being a prime minister. He's a bloody good campaigner. No one campaigned quite like Boris Johnson. He could win an election. He just didn't know what he wanted to do with it when he got there. Then we had the extraordinary debacle that was the Liz Truss premiership, where I think what's really important is to remember not just how badly Liz Truss did, but how badly those ideas have now been discredited. Uh, anyone coming back at you from the, you know, the Institute of Economic Affairs, 
uh, any of those right-wing think tanks saying, oh, well, it wasn't really the ideas. No, that is what failed. You tried and you imploded. Rishi Sunak is the first British Asian to lead the country, a milestone welcomed by all sides of the House at Prime Minister's Questions Wednesday. It's a reminder that for all the challenges we face as a country, Britain is a place where people of all races and all beliefs can fulfil their dreams. Finally now we've got Rishi Sunak, who just feels like the caretaker at the fag end of a very, very tired Tory government. And find that Labour have sleepwalked into what is looking like a landslide um, gaining poll lead. Despite all this, the Tory party still thinks it has a democratic mandate, which many of the UK voting public maybe don't think they do. Moving ministers from one job to another does not make a new party and certainly not a new mandate. Although we're expecting in 2023, the local elections uh, nationwide are going to be a disaster for the Tory party, which may then see the demise of Rishi Sunak, the current prime minister. But if he does, we believe Boris is waiting in the wings to try to step back and regain the power that the Tories have now at the next election. If you're a Tory, it's impossible to fail too badly that you can never come back. The trucker protest reached its final destination. That convoy of trucks and thousands of protesters on foot here at Parliament Hill with one message. No, we're looking for freedom. We're looking for freedom. That's the only thing. Every single thing that, the, that our governments have done it just keeps on getting worse. Against lockdowns and mandatory vaccinations in workplaces. These adverse reactions are not as rare as the media would like to have us believe. Most downtown Ottawa businesses remain closed for the protest. Police warned about the risk of violence. And they say they're not a fringe minority, claiming more Canadians share their view than people think. Hi, I'm Laura Babcock, owner of Power Group Communications and host of The O Show. This was a tumultuous year in Canadian politics. Probably a lot of it focused around the trucker convoy that came to Ottawa and besieged our capital city for three weeks. While it was largely peaceful, the truckers leaned on their horns, disturbing the sleep of citizens for weeks and weeks and refused to leave, even through some street parties. So it sent a complicated message to Canadians. Were they there to protest the vaccine mandates? that had been highly controversial? Did they have other motives in mind, especially when there were some white supremacists tied to the event? No one really understood exactly what the goals of the convoy were, except that it was disruptive. And so the Canadian government decided to use the Emergency Act in order to get them out of the downtown core and even went after their financial contributions to try to shut down the protest. And then there were subsequent arrests done and court cases. And so this is something that Canadians uh, were split over until the end of the Emergency Act inquiry wrapped up and the majority of Canadians were okay with the government doing what they had to do to use those extreme measures, even in a democracy, in order to stop the protests that had the potential to spread across the country with other provinces seeing smaller blockades at borders and weapons caches being discovered. So Canada spent a lot of time discussing that and the broader issues that that involved, including the rise of a new leader of our Conservative Party, Pierre Poliev, who aligned himself with the convoy and uses a kind of populism and a lot of online communication to put 
out some false narratives. So Canadians are deeply concerned that it might be another kind of Trump scenario happening with our Conservative Party. And also Canada is struggling as we head into 2023 with an overburden of our healthcare system right across the country. There is not enough room for children to get the services that they need. Children's surgeries are being cancelled. There's a lack of children's medicine as we continue to fight COVID in Canada. And lastly, the thing I want to draw attention to is the underlying issue that does affect us all, climate change. This year, we saw yet more illustrations of just how devastating climatic events can be, most notably in Pakistan, where they are, with the unprecedented floods and that created absolute havoc for millions of people. Equally, we've seen this in the hurricanes in the US, but also in the global south and the continued ocean acidification, loss of biodiversity and general extreme events is something that we must continue to keep in the back of our minds. At the end of the day, climate change is inherently related to human activity. And if we don't do something to not only adapt, but try to make ourselves more resilient, then unfortunately the rise in conflicts driven by climate change and climate insecurity will only increase too. But I remain a little bit optimistic for next year that we can continue to hopefully push for the support of people in improvement of human rights and that we, and the spread of information and the support that we show one another through hope and optimism can prevail. What a year. What have I learned? Well, I've learned what a Michelle Donnellan is, and that is a unit of measurement of about 36 hours, and that's the amount of time that she um, lasted as Education Secretary in between being brought, brought in to shore up things for Boris and then 36 hours later resigning realizing the whole thing was untenable. So I record this about half a Michelle Donnellan um, before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to all mid-Atlantic listeners. You've asked to nominate a charity. I will actually be volunteering with Crisis over this Christmas. So if anyone can spare a little money just to help our important work in, in giving the homeless somewhere to go and be during this Christmas period, that would be wonderful. Take care, bye. If people want to alleviate their guilt about being a cog in an inescapable system of profound global evil, they should go and donate to School One in Providence, Rhode Island. It's a place where the cash will have an impact. Okay, Royfield, congratulations, pal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.